Um, I know that the circumstances of me being here aren't exactly uh, phenomenal, but I am grateful to be here. Josh texted me yesterday, and I know you guys have been in this series called God, Sex, and the Bible, and uh, today was supposed to be the Q&A, and so I te- he texted me and said, hey, can you speak tomorrow? And I said, absolutely. I said, do you want uh, my wife and I to do the sex Q&A? And he just texted back, no. And so I don't know if that was a reflection of your questions or my ability to answer them. I honestly don't know. I didn't ask. I didn't ask. He said, just do your best message. And so I don't know if this is my best or not. If this really tanks, you'll know I'm just not that great of a speaker, okay? So that's just where that lines up, but I I am grateful to be here. Um, Some of you don't know who I am. I'm the pastor of Hope City Church, uh, which is a brand new church that starts six weeks from today. Uh, We are launching, yeah, we are launching, you can clap. You can clap because I, I'm, I wake up in cold sweats every night about it. So, um, but uh, we meet Sunday nights here at Mercy Road. We're a plant of Mercy Road, and so we meet every Sunday night at 6 o'clock uh, here. We have since January, and so we're coming down to the final six weeks. We're going to launch in the Rich Charles uh, Banquet Hall uh, just east or just west of here, actually, on the other side of Meridian Street, and so we're really excited about that. So we're working really diligently to get all that going. Um, my wife and I have been married for 21 years. We have celebrated 21 years of marriage. We got married when we were 12. That's not true. I just wish that it were. Um, but uh, our family is, uh, my oldest son, Micah, is going to be a sophomore at Indiana Wesleyan. And uh, he just turned 20 uh, last week, which just makes wrinkles pop out of my face saying that out loud. And then my middle son, Elijah, uh, you might recognize him because he helps out in the student ministry here. He's an intern uh, with Pastor Luke. And so he's going to be a senior at Zionsville High School. And then my youngest son, Isaiah, who is 6'4", and he's going to be in seventh grade. So he's my last hope for the NBA. He's all I got left. And so uh, we already wrote off the other two guys, but Isaiah still has a chance. And so, so we're excited. We lived in Nashville, Tennessee for six years. And uh, we just moved here a year ago to start Hope City. And so uh, it's been a phenomenal year as we've come back. This is home for me. And uh, we've lived 11 of our 20 years of marriage have been in the Indianapolis area. And so we're grateful to be back and just excited for what God has in store and, and really thankful for our partnership with Mercy Road. So this is an incredible place. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever had a situation in your life where you expected something to turn out a certain way. You had hopes of how something was going to turn out and then it didn't turn out that way at all. Like you romanticized it in your mind. And then what reality actually, how reality actually played out, it was nothing like you thought it was going to be. Uh, My wife and I got married the summer before my second senior year of college. I squeezed four years into five. I don't know if any of you are on that plan. I just wanted more student loans. That's just my plan. And so we got married. We were in college. We were young. We were broke, but we were in love. And then four months into marriage, we realized that my wife didn't have the flu like we thought she did, that she was actually pregnant with our first son. And so that was a little bit of a a shock uh, to the system, but we were going to roll with it. And... um, we were in college, and I played basketball in college, and one of the things that our college did was a Bible college in central Illinois, and they partnered with this organization that employed high-functioning uh, disabled adults to serve at the, at the college. And so there was four or five different individuals that were employees of the college that were also just kind of, uh, they lived at this halfway house inside the town. And so I became really good friends with this guy named John. And uh, before people started calling people bro, John and I called one another bro. And so he worked in the dish room, and I would come through the dish room, I'd come through the cafeteria, and I'd put my uh, tray up there, and I'd say, what's going on, bro? And he'd say, how you doing, bro? And uh, John had a perfectly sculpted, not six-pack, but baby belly. He looked like he was about eight months pregnant all the time. And so I'd reach across the counter, and I'd just rub his belly. I was like, when's the baby due, bro? He's like, any day, bro. And my wife, being like an, an amazing, uh, caring person, she knew that there were certain first that we were going to experience as a couple. 
And we were getting ready, after we found out she was pregnant, we were getting ready to experience our first Thanksgiving together. And those of you that have been married, you know how special that is. You know how you're going to tick off at least one set of parents when you decide to go the other set of parents on Thanksgiving Day. And so she decided, you know what, before we go home to celebrate Thanksgiving with our families, why don't we invite John to celebrate our first Thanksgiving together? I'm like, that sounds like an awesome idea. And that, this was the year that the Bulls were 72 and 10. And so all the, in Illinois, all the Bulls games were on TV. So we're going to go get John from his house. We're going to check him out. We're gonna, my, wife, my wife bought a 20-pound turkey because we didn't know what we were doing. And so uh, we, a 20-pound turkey for three people, that's you know, almost seven pounds a piece. We should be good. And so, um, so we got this 20-pound turkey. She's going to cook. She's going to do some mashed potatoes, some corn. It's going to be awesome. And uh, I'm going to pick up bro. We're going to come to the house. And we bought him a Christmas gift so we could do Christmas gifts at halftime, watch the Bulls game, have a fantastic Thanksgiving. It was going to be awesome. So the plan was my wife's going to come home from class. She's going to put the 20-pound turkey in the oven around 3 o'clock. It was going to cook you know, for four or five hours. It's going to be ready around 7 o'clock. It's going to be amazing. And so, uh, so I go get, my wife comes home. She puts the turkey in. I go get bro. I bring him home. And we start watching the game, start having conversation, and first quarter goes by, no turkey. You know, it has a little popper-upper thing, didn't pop up. I'm like, that's no problem. You know, we're, we got the second quarter, we go, you know, so second quarter goes by, and uh, no turkey, it's not ready. And so we go through the halftime, we open up bro's Christmas gift, and uh, no turkey. Get into the third quarter. Now, I'm an outgoing person, I can make conversation with just about anything. Bro and I are out of conversation pieces, right? We have nothing left to talk about. Like, I have no idea what we're going to say, I, I, this is kind of awkward. I'm like, baby, what is going on? Bro has to be home at 10. Like, he has a curfew. He has to be home at 10. It's like 5 till 9. No turkey. So finally, about 10 after 9, I make an executive decision. And so I go to KFC. I buy a bucket of chicken. And so I bring the bucket of chicken back. We have KFC extra crispy for our first Thanksgiving together. All right? And so I take bro home. I drop him off. I come back. And my wife, my beautiful wife, is sitting on the couch bawling her eyes out. And my first thought is pregnancy hormones. But I didn't say that out loud, okay? I didn't say that out I was smart enough not to say that out loud. But I just thought, I said, baby, what is going on? Why are you so upset? She's like, I don't understand what happened. I I did everything the instructions said. She's like, I took the turkey right out of the freezer and I put it right in the oven. I don't know why it's not cooking. Exactly. Some of you that are laughing, you know that you don't take a turkey out of the freezer and put it in the oven, right? You let it thaw out. That That turkey cooked for like four more days, right? We had turkey for Christmas dinner, right? It was like turkey upon turkey upon turkey. It was all over the place. I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you thought something was going to play out a certain way and then it goes the opposite direction. Maybe for some of you today, you came into this place and that's where you are in your relationship with God. You had expectations of God. You, got, you thought God was going to show up. You thought God was going to come through. You had hopes that God was going to reveal himself in a way that you counted on him to reveal himself. I mean, you go to church, you sing the songs, you raise your hands, you serve in the nursery, like you're doing all the right things, and you had these hopes. It's probably where the Houstons are today, these hopes and these dreams. We all, we all have these things, and they're given to us by God. Right? These hopes and dreams, we, these expectations, we have these God-sized expectations that we place that we think God is going to come through. God is going to save the day. God is going to rescue us. When you accumulate enough unmet expectations, you begin to lose hope. It happens in marriage. It happens in friendship. It happens in families. It happens in our relationship with God. And in the book of Luke, the audience that Jesus is talking to They had expectations. They had 
centuries and generations of built-up expectations of God. 39 times in the Old Testament, God himself promises a Messiah. God himself promises a Savior. God says, hey, I'm going to send someone. I'm going to give you someone who is going to save the day. He is going to be a conquering hero. He's going to be a coming king. He is going to rescue my people and deliver them out of the oppression that they've experienced for generation after generation after generation. 39 times God promises. Over 100 times in the prophets alone, the prophets testify and prophesy about a coming king, about a conquering warrior. And here in the book of Luke, Jesus shows up and he's not a king. He's a teacher. He's not a conquering hero. He's teaching about love and forgiveness and loving your enemies. Unmet expectations. Jesus isn't building an army to overthrow Rome. He can barely get 12 guys to follow him wholeheartedly. And maybe you're there today. They had to be thinking, man, God, is this all there is? John the Baptist himself, Jesus' cousin, right before he was beheaded on behalf of, of Jesus, sends word to Jesus, hey, just so we're clear, before I sacrifice my life, is it you that we're waiting for or should we wait on another? And maybe you've been in that conversation with God, not on the outside, but on the inside. Like, God, is this it? Is this everything that you have for my marriage? Is this, is this it? I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'm trying to date the way that you asked me to date, and I'm still not married. Is this all you got for me? God, is this it in my career? Are you kidding me? I, I've, I've honored you. I've, I've, I've given back to you. I've, I've taken you know, less pay so I don't have to you know, travel as much so I can spend more time with my family, and they get a promotion. I don't get a promotion. Is this all you got, God? See, enough unaccumulated, unexpe- you know, missed unexpectations leads to a loss of hope. And hope deferred turns into spiritual disappointment. And so what I want to talk to you today about is I want to talk to you about how to find hope or maybe find hope again. And we come to this story in Luke chapter 13. And this is a conversation, really all of the Gospels is a conversation about this kingdom. Jesus is trying to right-size people's expectations of him. That they expected a political Messiah. They, They expected a military Messiah. And so the Gospels is this this attempt by God through Jesus to reorient our expectations of God, to reframe what a Messiah actually looks like. And so Jesus shares this parable in Luke chapter 13. He says this. He says, Then Jesus said, What is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in the garden, and it grows and becomes a tree, and the birds make its nest in its branches. He also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It's like yeast that a woman used in making bread, even though she only put in a little yeast, In three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So Jesus is saying here, don't be confused. Don't be discouraged. I am ushering in a brand new kingdom. I am bringing a brand new kingdom that God promised. It may not look like you think it's going to look. It might not meet your expectations. But I am bringing a brand new kingdom to this earth. And it's not something you have to wait to live in. You can live in the kingdom of God right now. I'm bringing heaven to earth. And he uses two metaphors to explain what the kingdom looks like. And the first is an agricultural metaphor. And he says the, the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. Now, in our culture, we don't really get why this particular illustration, why this particular example was so important. But Jesus uses a mustard seed for a very specific, specific reason. In Matthew's account of this story, he adds a sentence that Luke doesn't include. Matthew says, and the mustard seed was the smallest of all seeds. And so this is a tiny seed. In fact, the mustard seed is 39 one-thousandths of an inch across. It's very tiny. 
But when you plant it in the ground in one growing season, it will grow to 12 feet high in one season. So like real-time photography, like, like you know, you know this, this actual little watching this mustard tree grow. And it even says that the birds will make nests in its branches. So there's, there's this dynamic aspect of this mustard seed that you can't see. It's unassuming. It's small. It's tiny. But in one growing season, it's 12 feet high and becomes one of the largest of all trees. And then he says another story. It's a baking analogy. A woman's baking bread, and it's not leavened yet. And she, so he says she puts in a, just a little bit of yeast, which doesn't really sound very significant to us, but we have to go back to their culture. Because if you look in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus you know, gives us the Lord's Prayer, and he says, give us this day our daily bread, right? So people in that culture, they didn't go to Kroger when you know, snow was forecast and clean out the bread and milk aisle, right? right? They, didn't, they didn't stock up. They, didn't, they weren't hoarders. They didn't have all the, the stuff that we have to preserve food. So they just made bread for that day. So here, to Jesus' listeners, what would be alarming to them as they listened to the story was the amount of bread this woman was making. She said, it says he, she uses three measures of flour. That would be roughly 128 cups of flour or 16 five-pound bags of flour that this woman is baking bread. She's baking bread for the whole cul-de-sac. She's baking bread for days. It's bread upon bread upon bread. It's just all bread all day long. That's what she's baking. Of that 16 five-pound bags of flour, it would take 42 cups of water that you would have to have, and it would be 101 pounds of dough. So people be going, why is this woman baking so much bread? What is going on? And then Jesus says, but just a little bit of yeast. Just a little bit of yeast. And that dough has no choice. When the yeast hits it, it's going to rise. And he says that's what the kingdom of God's like. It's small. It's unassuming. It seems insignificant. But once the seed is in the ground, it's game over. It's only a matter of time. The tree is going to grow. Once the yeast is in the dough contest over. The dough is going to rise. It has no choice. And Jesus says, I am ushering in a new kingdom, and my kingdom is unlike anything you've ever expected. It's nothing that you can predict, and it's going to blow all of your expectations, but it's going to start small. And it might be insignificant, and it may not even be visible, but that's okay because I do my best work and sometimes in invisible ways. So just hang on. Kingdom is just a matter of time. The formula for this new kingdom that Jesus is ushering in is small beginnings from an unlikely source, but irresistible growth. Small beginnings from an unlikely source, but irresistible growth. Think about this church. This church started small, started as a Bible study in Josh's apartment, moved to a school before they were even ready to move to a school, moved to a a building over in Carmel, that was super tiny, like 4,000 square feet. Some of your houses are bigger than that, right? Unlikely source. This guy from California comes here thinking he just has a dream. He's going to start a church for people who don't go to church. He's going to create a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Irresistible growth. Some of you have found Christ in this place. Some of you, your marriage has been restored in this place. Some of you have dedicated kids in this place. Why? Because it's something special about the building? No, because it's the kingdom of God. It's how it expands. It starts small. It might seem insignificant. It has an unlikely source, but it's irresistible growth. That's how the kingdom of God works. And the reason 
that so many of us get frustrated is what happens when we follow Jesus, we convince ourselves in order to do something significant for God, in order to be part of this great movement for God, we have to have this big platform, we have to have this, you know, these, this major you know, influence over people. We, we think that our influence has to be great and our, our, or our results won't be substantial. And so we get frustrated with God because he doesn't show up in the magnificent way we think he should. And we look at people on Facebook, and they have more influence than us. We look at people on Instagram, they have more likes than us. We think, why can't my life look like theirs, God? Why can't you use me in the way that you're using them, God? And what we want is we want, we want earthly success. And we have equated earthly success with kingdom impact. And those two things aren't synonymous. And so we feel discouraged or disappointed because we have big dreams but small beginnings. And we don't like small beginnings. I love this passage in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. If we're really honest, a small beginning is what we signed up for. We, we don't like small beginnings. And so God's let us down because we're not as gifted as the people that we compare ourselves to. Or we don't have as much influence as the person that we would like to emulate. And we just think that God doesn't get it. And what we really want is instant growth. What we really want is great reputation. What we really want is instant gratification. And when that doesn't come, we lose hope. Because God doesn't come through like we think he should. I was on staff for six years at a church of about 8,000 people. It was one of the fastest growing churches in the country. And um, my wife and I, for my first three years there, I was a campus pastor. And then three years into my time there, my wife and I wrote a book on marriage. And we began to travel and speak full-time. I went part-time at the church. And we started speaking at some of the largest churches in the country. And uh, selling a lot of books, helping a lot of marriages, just really investing in a lot of people. And we kind of achieved what most Christian pastors aspire to. We had this big platform, we had this large ministry, we were going to churches of fifteen to 18,000 and talking about how to have the marriage that God has in mind, and I just felt this discontentment in my heart for the city of Indianapolis. So like God was calling us back here as a family, and so I remember sitting down with some friends in Nashville saying, hey, I, I think that we're going to leave and go back to Indianapolis to start a church for people who don't go to church. And I remember one of my friends going, you know you're 41 years old, right? Like most people don't start over at 41. Thank you. That was very encouraging. Will you pray for me? Right? (laughs) But most people, they're experiencing the best part of their career at 41. They're not starting over at 41. And it was intimidating leaving all of that. Our first Sunday, we, we meet on Sunday nights here in this room. Our first Sunday, we had 34 people. You think first service is empty, all right? 34 people, all right, in this room. And I thought, well, that's not bad, 34 in January, that's awesome. The next week we had 26. I thought, you know what, maybe some people weren't feeling well. You know, maybe, you know, you know some people are out of town, they had travel basketball, they had, you know, obligations, it's on Sunday nights, a little inconvenient. You know, maybe just, next week we had 16. And I'm counting pregnant people and my family, okay? Pregnant, pregnant people twice, all right? We had two pregnant women. I'm like, that's two, that's four, right? Right there, boom. And I remember getting in my car on the way home, and I just thought, God, what are you doing? This is going the opposite direction that I needed to go. We're supposed to be growing. I, what, I gave up everything. I gave up, I gave up speaking. I gave up leading at a large church. I gave up all this stuff. God, where are you? What is going on? Why aren't you growing my influence here? I remember God just speaking to me that moment, and he's like, you're looking at the outcome. I'm looking at obedience. Don't worry about the outcome. Just be obedient. And maybe for some of us, we miss mustard seed moments. We miss 
mustard seed moments. We miss kingdom building moments because we're so concerned about the outcome that we forfeit our obedience. And God is saying, hey, you be faithful, I'll be present. Because it's just a matter of time. Once the seed is in the ground, it might not come in your timing, but it's coming. Once the yeast is in the dough, it might not happen how you think it's happened, but that dough is going to rise. So I want to give you just three principles of mustard seed hope today as we close. And the first is this. Hope waits patiently. Hope waits patiently. How do we not lose hope? We've got to wait patiently. Do you, do you guys like being patient? I'm not a very patient person. I hate to admit this publicly, but I am so impatient that I race the drive through line at Starbucks. Have you guys ever done this before? I, I don't know. Maybe you're looking at me like you haven't, but I, some of you are liars, okay? Um, I'll go into Starbucks, right? And I have my favorite Starbucks, just like you do. And I'll go into Starbucks and I'll assess the drive through line, okay? This morning, there were five cars in the drive through line. I start looking then at the parking lot and I start thinking how many people in the parking lot might be in line in Starbucks. And I start doing this comparison, like, are there more people in line inside than outside? And so if I think there's more people in line outside, then I'll run, I'll park my car and I'll run inside, okay? And then I make my wife play this game with me sometimes when we're together, okay? And I'll have my wife, I'm like, you stay in the drive through line, I'll go inside and we'll text message back and forth. If you order before I do, then I'll, I'll, I'll leave and, and if I order before you, then you just pull out a line. And so we're going back and forth. This morning, I go to Starbucks. I'm five cars deep. There's a red Yukon in line that I would have been behind. I strategically place myself after I run inside. There's no one inside. I strategically place myself at the drive-through window so I can see, you know, who is coming. If I beat the red Yukon, I have won. Okay, so I walk out of Starbucks this morning. The red Yukon has not even ordered yet. I freaking crushed it, right? I'm like, I man, I'm awesome. Now I gotta tell you. I have about a 70% win percentage on this, okay? I take into account weather. I take into account what barista's working, whether or not she had a fight with her boyfriend, all right? Traffic patterns, is, is school getting out? Like all of these things factor in. If you want to play this game, you can win. You win three minutes of your life back right there, all right? I don't like being patient. But if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, hope waits patiently. The, the nation of Israel waited years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to see God's dream fulfilled. Hope waits patiently because God's timing isn't your timing. And maybe you miss mustard seed moments because you've equated God's timing with your calendar. And let me just say, God is more concerned with your character than he is your calendar. And sometimes he'll let a mustard seed marinate in your heart until you have the character to sustain it. And so for some of us today, he might not be saying no, he might just be saying not yet. It doesn't mean that that dream is dead. It might just mean it's delayed until you have the character to sustain the dream that God has placed in your heart. So be patient. Don't give up. And you get frustrated because God hasn't come through. And there's always a gap between God saying, for between God calling us and God doing something. And oftentimes that gap is there to develop our faith. We've been meeting here on Sunday nights. And then for the last, um, over the last four months, we've had two preview services. So Sunday nights kind of stripped down. We have an acoustic guitar, a couple vocalists. These preview services, we had a full band. We have kind of our, all of our, everything that you would get on a, Sunday morning experience we, we do on these preview services. Sunday nights is kind of low-key. It's really for us just to prepare for our launch of our church. And Our last preview service, I had this guy come up to me out in the, out in the lobby of, of the church here, and he just comes up and gives me a hug like we know each other, which I'm a hugger, but not full frontal, like on the time I first meet you, right? Like, I'm like, okay, this is a little uncomfortable. And so I step back. I'm like, hey, do we know each other? He's like, don't you remember me? And I'm like, little Kyle? 
And there's this 34-year-old man at, at, at Hope City. And when I was 18 years old, I was a weekend youth pastor. I was paid $100 a week to go to this church in the middle of nowhere in Indiana and teach Sunday school. And I started a little youth group. My first Sunday of youth group, we had 11 kids that showed up, age, age from 10 to 18. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was so nervous going there. And so I, I preached from Genesis to Revelation for about 55 minutes. And uh, at the very end, I wanted anyone who was listening to have an opportunity to receive Christ. And so I just said, if you don't want to go to hell, raise your hand. And, um, and this little kid, this little 10-year-old kid named Kyle raised his hand. And I prayed with him as best I could. And then I ran next door to the parsonage. And I'm like, I hope Kyle is not going to hell because I think I just led him to Christ. And it might not have worked, okay? 22 years later. That kid shows up at Hope City. You never know the mustard seed moments that you're planting in someone's life by just being faithful, by just being patient. He just got married. His wife's getting ready to have a baby. Not, not, like, not tomorrow, but eight months from now. And they want to be a part of Hope City. You never could have written that script. You never know the faithfulness that you have today and how it's going to benefit the kingdom tomorrow. So be patient. Hope waits patiently. Secondly, hope acts courageously. When you begin to place your hope in the kingdom of God and you begin to allow the mustard seed moments to take root in your life, you're going to be confronted with fear. In fact, every time you take a step of obedience, it's going to be followed by a moment of fear. Just how it works. If you look, everybody that did anything significant for God was scared. Look, all throughout the scripture, the most common command that God gives us is do not fear, do not be afraid, take courage. Why? Because he knows that every time you try to trust him more, you're going to be fearful. It's just how it works. About a month ago, we were able to secure the Ritz-Charles as a meeting space, and we looked at a number of different places, and we wanted to be west of um, Meridian. It was kind of our goal. And, um, and so we, it was just a, lot, a limited amount of space to, to you know, choose from over there, and so we were grateful that we were able to secure the Ritz-Charles. And so part of the process of starting a new church is after you have your venue, then you have to hire this uh, company to come in and they have to do an assessment of how much equipment you need to buy and how much it's going to cost. And so we have this company that, that comes in, they're, they're going to you know, walk through the space with us, do a little drawing and give us a, kind of this estimate. It was just a rough estimate at first because I, want, I need to start raising money for this equipment. And so we walk through, the next day I get this email from this guy, he's like, hey Justin, just as a, as a general you know, ballpark idea, I think it's going to be around $70,000 for all your equipment. And I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. And so I'm like, oh my gosh. And, uh, and so um, I was having this conversation with my wife. She's like, well, how much have you raised? I'm like, zero. Like, that's how much I have. Zero of 70,000 is how much I, we have. And uh, I'm like, we're off to a great start. But I had a plan. And so I had this, I know this guy. He's, he's a good friend of mine. We've been friends for like 15 years. He's a business guy. He has resources. And, and so I scheduled a meeting with him. And I just felt like the number that God had laid on my heart for his life was $20,000. I was going to ask him for $20,000. And I was hoping that God had laid that on his heart as well. And so we get together for breakfast, we're talking, and and the first thing he says is, I I love your vision for Hope City, I I love everything that you're doing, I love your heart for Indianapolis, I I love that you're back, which is exactly what you want to hear right before you ask someone for $20,000, right? I'm like, this is going beautifully, he's setting me up, it's going to be awesome. And so um, so I'm like, that that is so phenomenal, I said, you know, I said, here's the deal, I said, our equipment's going to be $70,000, I really need you to step up and invest twenty. dollars he took a big sigh, he's like, you know, your timing could not be more awful, awful. And I said, did you say awesome? No, he said awful. I'm like, oh, awful, which is not what you want to hear right after you ask someone for $20,000. 
And uh, I said, okay. And he's like, if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I could have written the check. He's like, but I've given a lot of money away in the last couple weeks. And he's like, all I can do is five. Well, I, that was five more than I had, so I was grateful for that. So I get in my car, I drive home, I open up my computer when I get home, and I have an email from the company who's doing our equipment. Justin, after a quick review and a more detailed analysis, your number isn't 70,000, it's 90,000. Exactly what I said. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I literally stand up and I yell to my wife, I'm the worst church planner of all time. Within the span of an hour, I've lost $35,000, right? 15,000 of what I didn't get from this guy and 20,000 of what the equipment's going to cost. Like, this is incredible. And so I, you know, I, I was just completely panicked with fear, like, this is not going to work. We're not going to do this. It's not going to happen. We need to push back the thing, push back the launch of the church. And it's like, God, would you just trust me? Because if, if you could do this right now, you'd get the credit. Why don't you just have courage? So I'm, I'm excited. Six weeks out, we've, we've uh, raised about $73,000. And uh, so I'm, I'm really excited. We only have $17,000 more to go in the next six weeks, um, which, you know, does keep me up at night a little bit, but not much. Um, but here's the deal. God is going to show up. You know why? Because it's what he does. And it may not be how I think it's going to look, and it may not look how I think it should, but God is going to come through because that's what happens in the face of fear. God is saying, hey, I want to build a kingdom where people are marked by faith, not fear. And if they'll trust me, if they'll have courage, I'll show up in ways that they couldn't imagine, that they couldn't have possibly predicted because that's how the kingdom of God works. Once the seed is in the ground, it's only a matter of time. Lastly, hope lives expectantly. Hope lives expectantly. September 18th, 2016, 9 and 10.30 a.m., Hope City Church is going to launch. It may not look how I think it's going, it's going to look today, but it's going to happen. And we're expectant. We're expecting God to show up big time. Tonight, at our church, little church plant, you show up here at 6 o'clock, you're going to see 40 to 60 people singing to an acoustic guitar, listening to a little bit of a message. It's not going to be impressive. So the kingdom of God isn't impressive, it's expectant. And maybe for some of us, we've missed mustard seed moments in our life because we're so resentful of what God didn't do that we've lost the expectation of all that God can do. And God is saying, hey, just because it did, the past didn't happen how you think it should doesn't mean that I'm not going to show up in the future like I promise I would. So be expectant, live expectantly. You know what? Movements don't start with momentum, they start in moments. And here's what I believe. You're a part of a moment. You're a part of a moment in this city. You're a part of a moment in the kingdom of God because there are very few churches that open their doors wide open and say, hey, meet here for free. Hey, can we give you some money to help you and your church start? Hey, can we allow you to speak on our stage? Hey, can we do anything? Can we give you band members to help you out? Can we give you volunteers in your kids' ministry to help you out? Can we help you in any way that we possibly can? That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Small beginnings from an unlikely source, irresistible growth. And this is our moment. And we're going to look back on this, and we're going to see that the yeast went in the dough, fall of 2016, and a movement started across this city. And it might not be big, and it might not be impressive, but it will be eternal. And it will change the course of history, maybe not for the entire city of Indianapolis, but for people who are a part of it, it will. So be expectant. You see, when, when the people saw Jesus as the Messiah, they didn't have great expectations. In fact, their expectations were really low. They didn't think he, he, he was who he said he was. 
And so they challenge his authority and they question his position. And they nailed him to a cross and they buried him in a tomb. And they thought that was the end of the movement. What they didn't realize is they were just putting the seed in the ground. They were just putting the yeast in the dough. And 2,000 years later, we're here to celebrate the kingdom of God because it's only a matter of time. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much just for your relentless pursuit of us and how you call us into this new kingdom. And it's unlike anything that we could predict or expect. It's nothing like we would imagine. But it's inevitable. So we thank you for the opportunity, God, that we get to be a part of it. And it might not be flashy and it might not be big. It might not be national. And it might not have cultural success written all over it, but it has kingdom impact. So whatever our role is, if, if you're calling us to step out and serve, will you give us the courage to serve? If you're calling us to step out and give, would you give us the faithfulness to give? If you're calling us, God, to reconcile a relationship that we have written off because we weren't patient enough for that person, would you give us the humility to seek them out? God, may we live not as if your kingdom is some far-off place that we go after we die, but as if it's a hand right now that we get to participate in it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.